0: I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. So you were probably surprised to hear me say 2 Timothy instead of Matthew. It happened again. My plan all week was for us to start in on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount with a study of the Beatitudes. We read the whole Sermon on the Mount two weeks ago, but... Then we took a week off to learn about the Holy Spirit after Stay Sharp. And I studied this week. I did. Thinking that we were going to dive into the Sermon on the Mount this morning. That was my plan. But apparently the Lord has a different plan for us. Because after Billy Graham died on Wednesday, I just couldn't get him out of my mind. And when it came time to write this week's message, I felt like it would be... Very appropriate to take one more week off of the Sermon on the Mount and do something special to mark Dr. Graham's passing into glory. There aren't very many people I would take a Sunday off of my normal preaching plan to talk about. But Billy Graham has had an enormous impact for Jesus Christ on our world. And his death truly marks the end of an era. His body lies in state in the rotunda of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., it doesn't happen for very many private citizens. I think I saw in the New York Times or the Washington Post a former president, George W. Bush, writing a tribute to him on the front page of every newspaper. This is a particularly important moment in American church history. So Maryland will have to come up with yet another cover about the Beatitudes because this week we're going to stop and look at 2 Timothy Chapter four verses one through eight. I pick this particular passage of Scripture because, because it is also about the death of another major Christian leader. The apostle Paul, when he wrote it, expected that he would soon be executed. He says, The time has come for my departure. 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter that we have. And he used that last letter and and the last chapter of his last letter to give his protege Timothy a very solemn charge. And as we read it, I think we'll hear echoes of and lessons from the life and ministry of Billy Graham. So let's read it. Paul to Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1-8. through In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the life and ministry of Billy Graham. I pray that as we have, as an evangelical movement, profited so much from his leadership, that we would learn lessons from his life and ministry, even in the week of his death. And I pray, Father, that you would make us bold evangelists, like he was, sharing the gospel with the world. Because the point of Billy Graham wasn't Billy Graham, it was Jesus Christ. And maybe he, may he be the point of our lives and ministries as well. We pray it in that name above all names. Amen. William Franklin Graham was born on November 7th, 1918. Four days before the armistice was signed to end World War I. Billy Graham died this Wednesday, February 21st, 2018, over 99 years old. If he'd lived to be November, to, to November 7th, he'd have been 100. That's a long lifetime. And what a life he lived. I'm not going to give a history lesson this morning. This is a sermon, not a, a history lecture. But I recommend learning about the life of Billy Graham. If you don't already know, you should study it. When I was in college, I read this book. Billy Graham the authorized biography by John Pollock it was first published in 1966 by 1966 Billy Graham had already preached the gospel in person to over 50 million people okay by 1966 when this was published he had already preached in person to crowds including 50, million people. By the time he died this week, it was more than twice that number. And he preached to many, many more than that through broadcasting, radio, television, film, internet. He is arguably the most influential Christian figure of the last century. And everybody here knows his name, right? Billy Graham, you know who I mean? Some of you may not. The youngest of you may not. A few years from now, even less will know his name. There was a time when he was, on one of the, he was one of the top most admired people in America every single year. He was in the top ten every year. And there are many who don't know him today, but he has been a household name for many years. And most of us have some kind of a Billy Graham story to tell, some way that he or his ministry has impacted us. My wife's family has a picture of her grandfather, Billy Wood, standing in a group just casually talking to a bunch of people including Billy Graham at a Hume Lake Camp and Conference Center in California. When Heather was little, her parents were counselors in a stadium on the floor near the podium at the Billy Graham Crusade in her hometown of Calgary. What's your Billy Graham story? Billy Graham came and preached a series of of uh, a campaign in Altoona in 1949. Anybody go to hear Billy Graham in Altoona in 1949? Here? Some of you might have. I have several of his books on my shelf, many of which belong to my grandmother, who gave them to me when I started to show an interest in spiritual things. One on the Holy Spirit. I pulled it off the shelf this week. Yep, good teaching. One on the end times named Approaching Hoofbeats. The first major paper that I wrote at college was on Billy Graham and his influence on people around the world. I put up these posters around campus at Moody saying, were you converted under the ministry of Billy Graham? And I gave my phone number for them to call me. I want to talk to you. I had several fascinating conversations of people from all walks of life who've been led to the Lord through Billy Graham's ministry. Graham was innovative, and he broke new ground in publishing, broadcasting, filmmaking. How many have seen a Billy Graham film? Yeah, a bunch of you. The fact that there are Christian films kind of comes out of Billy Graham. Um, he met with presidents, right? Eleven of them, I think, uh, when they were president, and royalty and celebrities. He was friends with Johnny Cash, for example, the man in black. But what he's best known for and what he wanted to be known for is being an evangelist. A few years ago, Pastor Ralph Rott, do you guys remember Ralph Rott from Forrest? Ralph Rott gave me this book, Graham's Autobiography, Just As I Am, which he published in 1997. In the introduction, Billy writes, I want to add a few words about my calling as an evangelist. The word evangelist comes from a Greek word meaning one who announces good news. Its verb form occurs over 50 times in the Greek New Testament. An evangelist then is like a newscaster or, or television or journalist writing for a newspaper or magazine, except that the evangelist's mission is to tell the good news of the gospel. The word gospel actually means good news. In the Bible, an evangelist is a person sent by God to announce the gospel, the good news. He or she has a spiritual gift that has never been withdrawn from the church. Methods differ, but the central truth remains. An evangelist is a person who has been called and especially equipped by God to declare the good news to those who have not yet accepted it with the goal of challenging them to turn to Christ in repentance and faith and to follow Him in obedience to His will. The evangelist is not called to do everything in the church or in the world that God wants done. On the contrary, the calling of the evangelist is very specific. Nor is the evangelist free to change the message any more than a newscaster is free to change the news. The main thrust of our message is centered in Christ and what He has done for us by His death and resurrection and the need for us to respond by committing our lives to Him. It is the message that Christ came to forgive us and to give us new life and hope as we turn to Him. That's what Billy Graham was all about. And that's why I want to title this message From verse 5, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. I've got four points of application that I want to make. All four come from 2 Timothy chapter 4. But I want to use a catchphrase from or about Billy Graham to describe each one. Here's the first one. The Bible says. Can you hear Billy Graham saying it? The Bible says, right? The Bible says. When Billy Graham preached, he didn't just spout out his own opinions. He didn't just tell stories. He didn't just share his feelings. He preached from the Bible, and that's what he—that was his catchphrase. He would always say, "The Bible says," and then he would explain biblical teaching. We're just used to that. I say it all the time on Sundays. I get it from Billy Graham. Because this is where the power is. And because he was heeding the words of Paul to Timothy in chapter four, listen again to verse one, "In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I, Paul, give to you, Timothy, this charge, preach the word. Do you feel how serious Paul is? I mean, you see, you know if I said, To my sons, I want you to go and take out the garbage. Okay? That would be one thing. But if I said, in view of the presence of God, I want you to take out the garbage. They would hop too, right? You can't get any more serious than appealing to the presence of God and of Christ, who will judge and who is coming back again to set up his kingdom, he lays all that out before he says, here's what I want you to do. Preach the Word. Timothy, don't preach anything else than God's Word. And preach it faithfully. Verse 2. Be prepared in season and out of season when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. When you feel ready to do it. When you don't feel ready to do it. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That's faithful preaching. Year in and year out. And not just preaching the easy parts, but just the parts that people want to hear. He says, correct, rebuke, and encourage. I don't know about you, but I'd rather preaching was always encourage. He says, no, correct, rebuke, And encourage. Encourage! But don't just encourage. And do it with great patience and careful instruction. Why? Verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. I want to hear it. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Tell me this. Tell me this. Tell me what I want to hear. They will turn us. Turn their ears away, no, 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 I'm not listening to you, from the truth, and turn aside to myths. But see, myths won't save. Only the truth will save. Doesn't verse three sound like today? It's been like that for a long time. People, Paul warned of it. Billy Graham saw it in his day and countered it by preaching the word. Where are you at with the word? Do you believe it? Do you know what it says? Are you trusting in it? Are you reading it every day? You memorizing it? Basing your life on it? You know, there was a time in Billy Graham's life when he had some serious doubts about the Bible. I remember reading about that in, in this book, the one I read in the, when I was in college. Profoundly affecting me. It was 1949. The Los Angeles Evangelistic Crusade was coming up. That was the big one, the one where he kind of went national and then out of that international. And another preacher named Charles Templeton had challenged Graham that the Bible was out of date really couldn't be trusted. And Billy had a little crisis of faith. He writes about it in uh, Just As I Am, his autobiography. He says he went for a walk in the moonlight with his Bible, and he placed it on a tree trunk and he prayed. He said something like, Oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it which I have no solution There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas in it that do not seem to correlate with modern science. I cannot answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions Charles is raising. Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. He says, when I got up from my knees, my eyes stung with tears. I sensed the presence and power of God as I had not sensed it in months. Not all my questions were answered, but a major bridge had been crossed. In my heart and mind I knew a spiritual battle in my soul had been fought and won. The Bible says. And that became His authority. Is that where you are? Have you had that same experience? Made that Same commitment. I will follow this Word. I remember when I read that about that at Moody about 25 years ago. It was a great example to me. I got down on my knees in my dorm room and said something very similar to the Lord. I still have questions which are good to explore. But I also have faith in God's Word. That's why I get up here every Sunday morning and teach this thing. Not my opinions, not my thoughts, not my feelings, not my stories, but God's Word. Do you believe what the Bible says? Or do you just want teachers to say what your itching ears want to hear? Don't turn aside from the truth and turn aside to myths because myths won't save. They can't save. The passage just before this is also very familiar. Paul has just gone got done reminding Timothy what the word of God is. Look up at chapter 3 verse 16. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What does the Bible say? And whatever it says, we trust that correctly interpreted. And that's what we preach. And that's number two, Just As I Am. That's the title of the hymn that's most closely associated with Billy Graham and his evangelistic team. Amy Joe played it for us as the offertory. By the way, that's, that team thing is one of the other things I love about Billy Graham. That he surrounded himself with a team. Right? Name some of the people on Billy Graham's team. Cliff Barrow. Cliff Barrow. George Beverly Shea. And probably the one that you might not think of as well, but Grady Wilson. would be another, another one of the guys on his top leadership team. Billy didn't try to do everything on his own. He was like Paul in that too. He followed Paul's lead in having a team. And some of his team led the singing, like Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea. One of the things that Billy Graham was known for was giving people an invitation right then and there to respond to the gospel message. At his great big stadium events, he would invite them to come forward talk with a counselor and pray to receive Christ like Heather's parents were at that one Billy Graham crusade that that she was a part of and the choir would sing just as I am right just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me and and that thou bidst me come to thee O Lamb of God I come I come and Billy would say I invite you to come and he would he's famous for saying what the busses the buses will wait for you, right? right? It's okay. The buses will wait for you. Now's a moment to just consider the claims of Christ and come. Now, hear me. You don't have to walk an aisle to become a Christian. You don't even have to pray the sinner's prayer. That's not in the Bible. Right? It is by grace through faith that we are saved. And not by our works at all. Not by walking an aisle or praying a prayer. We can express that faith by walking an aisle and praying a sinner's prayer. And we must all repent in faith and, and, and respond in faith, res, repent and respond in faith to the gospel to be saved. We all have to repent and believe. We all have to come, not to the front, but to Christ personally, individually, and just as we are. We don't get cleaned up first. That's what the idea of just as I am is, right? We, we, don't, we don't fix ourselves and make ourselves presentable to God. We come as we are, sinners, rebels against God's holiness, without one thing going for us. One thing to argue on our behalf, except the grace of God. It's the job of an evangelist to tell us that gospel and to call us to respond to it. Look at verse 5. But you, Timothy, instead of turning aside to myths, you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Timothy was supposed to keep a level head. That's not easy all the time in ministry. Billy Graham did well at that on the whole, but he'd be the first to tell you that he also made big mistakes. I love that about Billy Graham. He admitted his mistakes and said he could learn from them and probably other people could too. I think it's a mark of his integrity that he publicly declared his regrets and things he'd do over again if he could. There's a whole section on it in his book, Just As I Am. One was that he wished he'd studied more. As much as he preached the Bible, he wished that he had spent more time actually studying it and learning good theology. Another regret was that he wished that he'd traveled less and that he was away, he was home with his family more. Another was that he had done, he wished that he had done more to affect racial reconciliation. He led the way in desegregating his evangelistic campaigns and partnering with minority preachers, but he wished that he had done more and sooner. And another big regret was that he allowed himself to get too embroiled in politics and too enamored with politicians. That's easy to do if they're making much of you. It's hard to keep your head in all situations. He says in his book, There have been times when I undoubtedly stepped over the line between politics and my calling as an evangelist. An evangelist is called to do one thing and one thing only, to proclaim the gospel. Becoming involved in strictly political issues or partisan politics inevitably dilutes the evangelist's impact and compromises his message. It's a lesson I wish I had learned earlier. I've tried to learn from his lesson as well. He says, about one thing I have absolutely no regrets, however. And it is my commitment many years ago to accept God's calling to serve him as an evangelist of the gospel of Christ. What Billy never regretted was sharing the gospel of grace. He never regretted doing the work of an evangelist. He never regretted calling people to respond to Jesus just as they are. So, how about you? How about me? One of the things I love about verse 5 is that it doesn't say, you are an evangelist, Timothy, get busy. He says, do the work of an evangelist. You know what I think that means? I think that means that Timothy did not have the gift. He, he might not have had that special ability that some people have to talk about Jesus and see them come to faith, the gift of evangelism. Do you know anybody has the gift of evangelism? Heather and I have a friend, had a friend at Bible College named Jeff Hokinson. We called him Hokey. And Hokie would go for a walk and he would come back with a convert. Okay? That's just, that's just the gift he had. Wherever he went, he talked about Jesus, and the Lord would just, the fish just jumped into his boat. Okay. I don't have that gift. But I can still do the work. I can still tell people about Jesus and invite them to respond to him in faith. And so can you. You can do the work of an evangelist. You and I will never be Billy Graham. We won't preach to millions about Jesus. But we can share Jesus with a friend, a neighbor, a family member, a co-worker, a stranger. Filled one of these out yet? Fishing cards? This is doing the work of an evangelist to be a fisher of men. We're asking you to write down the name of somebody you're praying for to come to Christ. Somebody you want to reach for Christ with the gospel of grace. Write your name down. Write their name down. Put it in the fishbowl out there. We're praying for you. We're praying alongside you as you do the work of an evangelist. Because you see, Billy Graham is gone now. He's gone to be with the Lord. It's time for us to pick up the baton. It's up to us to discharge the duties of our ministries. And that's not going to be easy. That's why Paul told Timothy to endure hardship. It's, no, it's not fun. This being a Christian thing is not easy. Billy Graham didn't have it easy. He had Parkinson's disease. He he had all kinds of threats come against him. So many situations he got into that were difficult. And he lived with constant criticism. Right? I mean, he's admired by many And he's also vilified by many, right? Try to live with that. But he was faithful to do the work of an evangelist. And you and I can be faithful too. Whom do you need to talk to this week about Jesus? I would love it. I'm sure he would love it too. If the death of Billy Graham unleashed a wave of evangelism. If we all got serious about sharing Jesus with the people that we love. Because it's so easy to not share the Gospel. We just shut up. Paul knew that his life was just about over. And that's why he's passing the baton to Timothy. Look at verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. You see the picture of that Drink offering being poured out on the sacrifice. It's worship, but it's also the end. When you get to the end, there's nothing left. No more drops. Time for him to go. Bye-bye. Now it's your turn. He's saying, Timothy, you're going to have to do it now. My time is over. Paul's gone. When I finish this letter, I'm gone. You're going to have to do it. I think the Lord is saying the same thing to the American church. Billy Graham is gone. Now it's our turn. Billy said, I gave you the gospel. I gave you the steps to peace with God. Now you need to go tell others. Here's number three. The Billy Graham rule. Now that's not what he called it. But it's named after him. You might have heard this rule called the Mike Pence rule because our current vice president has adopted it and taken some flack for it as well. And that is that Billy Graham would not travel with, meet with, or eat alone with a woman who was not his wife. Now that's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't give us that rule. But I think there's some wisdom in it. What the Bible does say is that men are to be faithful to their wives. And they are to flee youthful lusts. And they are to be men of integrity. Look at verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul is saying he stuck with it. He's not claiming to be perfect, just persevering. He has not given up or defaulted on his confession of faith in Jesus Christ. He didn't say one thing and live another. What we often call the Billy Graham rule is actually just a part of something that Billy Graham and his team called the Modesto Manifesto. Back in 1948, before he went big, he and his team met in Modesto, California, and made a list of the things that normally sink evangelists. Money problems, sexual scandals, working at cross-purposes with the local church, and exaggerating evangelistic success. And at Modesto, California, Billy Graham and his team decided then and there that they would put practices in place to make sure they did not fail in any of those areas. And to be true to their principles no matter what. They called it the Modesto Manifesto. And then they did it. They stayed faithful to their wives. They were careful with the money. They worked closely with local churches. They were accurate in their reporting. They fought the good fight. They finished the race. They kept the faith. I'm not saying you have to adopt the Billy Graham rule. There may or may not be wisdom pieces about it, whether it should work, how it should work for you. What I am saying is this is a call to integrity. Billy Graham was faithful to Ruth Bell Graham. He lived out his commitment to Christ as he lived out his commitment to Ruth. Now, I don't know what your particular practices are to be men and women of integrity, but what matters is that you are. Because there's a correlation between how we live and the gospel that we preach. Do they match up? Are they saying the same thing? Is there something you need to put in place to guard your integrity? Is it an internet filter or accountability software for your phone or your computer? My family and I use something called Covenant Eyes for hours. It sends a weekly report of places I go online to my accountability partner. And If he sees something on an accountability partner he's got questions about, he calls me and he says, Matt, what was this that you were looking at? Billy Graham would not get into an elevator alone with a woman who was not his wife. That might be too strict for you. But he didn't default either. He stayed the course. He stayed true to Ruth and to the gospel and to Jesus. With Paul, he could say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Number four and last, I'd rather have Jesus. My favorite song is, at, Heather's I think is His Eyes on the Sparrow, which Amy Joe played for us earlier. Ethel Waters singing it at the concert, at the, at, the, at the campaign, at the crusade. Just as I am at the end, but in the middle, George Beverly Shea singing, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'll bet the Apostle Paul would have loved that song too. Because that's how he felt about Jesus. Look at the last verse. Look at verse 8. Now there is in store for me, Paul, The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. All who have longed for Jesus to come back. Paul knows that he will be rewarded by Jesus himself. And he looks forward to it. But the best part of that reward is the one who's giving it to him. Paul has been longing to see Him face to face. And he's lived for Jesus more than anything. I'd rather have Jesus than vain applause. I'd rather be faithful to His dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to His holy name. Billy Graham had worldwide fame. He got lots of applause all around the world. And he's being honored this week. But he's often said that his one goal was actually to hide behind the cross so that people would not see him, but see Jesus. And now Billy gets to see Jesus. On the very last page of his autobiography, he wrote this. I know that soon my life will be over. I thank God for it and for all He has given me in this life. But I look forward to heaven. I look forward to the reunion with friends and loved ones who have gone on before. I look forward to heaven's freedom from sorrow and pain. I also look forward to serving God in ways we can't begin to imagine. For the Bible makes it clear that heaven is not a place of idleness. And most of all, I look forward to seeing Christ And bowing before Him in praise and gratitude for all He has done for us. And for using me on this earth by His grace. Just as I am. Amen.